Good morning, church. It's my uh, privilege to uh, share with the God's Word with you this morning. And I invite you to open your Bibles and uh, turn to uh, Exodus chapter 2. You may use the Bibles in the pews in front of you. You'll find this passage on page 45. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done with him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of water. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens and saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid, and he thought, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? And why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, 
And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob. He saw the people of Israel, and God knew. This is the Word of God. We're in Exodus, obviously, chapter 2, from slavery to glory. If you want to get a little head start, you might want to also find Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, maybe put a little piece of paper there or something, because we're going to jump over there in a little bit. The book of Exodus is crucial. Understanding the book of Exodus is crucial to us understanding the New Testament, understanding God, understanding ourselves. If we can understand this story, we can begin to, to know what our own salvation means. And so, this isn't just a bunch of really good, you know, Sunday school lessons. This is a story that impacts all of us, especially those of us who want to be saved, who are saved, who want to know God and understand who He is. And so, this is uh, why we have chosen to, to travel through the, the book of Exodus. Today, our God, remember, our God Who Remembers is the title, our uh, sermon title. Let me ask you a question. Who are you? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Who am I? It's a very popular storyline, isn't it? If you've, ever, if you've ever seen a movie like The Lion King, Simba does something terrible, or at least he thinks it's terrible, and then uh, he, he, he runs, and he's hanging out with Timon and Pumbaa. Remember that? Hakuna Matata, whatever. And, and then the prophet Rafiki comes, and Simba says to Rafiki, who are you? And Rafiki says, no. The question is, who are you? Takes him to the water, remember, he looks in, sees his reflection. Who are you, Simba? What's your identity? Have you ever felt that way? Who am I? I remember when I was in the fifth grade, I was the funny one. Uh, the kind of the class clown. I could make everybody laugh until Drew Pearson showed up. <sighs> Drew Pearson, this, uh, this was in North Jersey. I grew up in North Jersey. Drew Pearson was from the South. You know, he had that accent. So everything he said just sounded funnier. And he had jokes and he had stories and tales. In middle school, I, I became the athletic one. I obsessed over basketball. Played basketball in the morning, played basketball at night. I was decent. In the eighth grade, I've told you all this story before, in the eighth grade, my coach said, Walcott is a step too slow and a foot too short to ever be any good. 
Okay, no more basketball. You need a new identity. Graduated college and I became a teacher. And I carved out an identity, you know, over 15 years. An identity. I am a good teacher. This is who I am. This can't be taken from me. Until somebody says, come work in the church instead of the school. (laughs) And I resisted the identity of pastor. Yes, I'll help out. Yes, I'll do all the work of the pastor, but don't call me pastor. First year or so of that. Now, well, who am I? Am I a teacher? Am I a pastor? When my kids were little, I was the dad that could solve the problems, could make life fun. Now my kids are all adults, so who am I? What, am, I am I still a dad, but I'm not, I'm not that dad? It's different. Who am I? What Exodus and all of Scripture wants to tell us is that we can't know who we are until we know who God is. That's our first lesson. We can't know who we are until we know who God is. Moses is going through the same identity crisis. Who is Moses? Is he a Hebrew? That's how it starts. His parents are Hebrews. They're Levites. Is he a Hebrew? Is he a Levite? In verse 10, he became the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So is he, is he an Egyptian? The book of Acts tells us that he was trained in all the wisdom of Egypt. By the end of this chapter, he's, he's not in either of those places, is he? He's in Midian. And he dwelt among them. In other words, he's there for the, as far as he knows, he's a Midianite now. I'm not a, I'm not a Hebrew. I'm not an Egyptian. I'm a Midianite. I married into the family. I got, I got a kid now. I'm a Midianite. I'm a shepherd. Is Moses a slave or is he a prince? Is he an outsider or an insider? Does he need a rescue or is he the rescuer? Is he a criminal or is he a revolutionary? Is he a murderer or is he a judge? How about us? Am I worthy or am I unworthy? Am I a sinner or a saint? Am I wicked or am I loved? Who am I? Who am I? Verse 11 says that Moses began his search for meaning. We all go through this. We all, we all begin our search for meaning. When Moses had grown up, verse 11, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people, twice his people. He's trying to find out who he is. Who am I and who am I amongst this people? And Moses clearly has a a heightened sense of justice and maybe even compassion, doesn't he? 
but he quickly loses it. The very identity he's looking for in verse 11, he loses almost immediately. He sees an Egyptian harming a Hebrew, and he murders the Egyptian and hides his body in the sand. Clearly, he's not an Egyptian anymore. He's not on Pharaoh's team. He's not on, he's not on team Pharaoh. He has sealed his identity as a Hebrew, hasn't he? No. Because the next day, two Hebrews are fighting. He tries to break it up. Do they listen to him? No. Who are you? Who are you? Who made you a prince and a judge? What, are you going to kill us? The very thing he's been seeking, he, it's elusive. He can't grab onto it, Kenny. And so he runs. He flees east. That's what murderers do in the Bible. They run to the east. Cain, now Moses. And when he gets out there, they, they think he's an Egyptian. An Egyptian rescued us, Dad. And when he has his child, verse 22, he names his child Sojourner. Gershom, sojourner or stranger. Why? Because I am a sojourner. I'm a stranger. Wow. Three quick insights from this. First, Moses' lack of identity with God, in other words, his lack of understanding of who God is, thwarts or twists his view of justice, doesn't it? It's good that he has a sense of justice, but because he has forgotten the nature of God, his view of justice is twisted, isn't it? He has forgotten the Imago Dei. He has forgotten that everyone is in the image of God, and so he murders someone. He's forgotten that true justice comes through self-sacrifice, like the midwives in chapter 1. The midwives literally sacrifice themselves for the cause of justice. Moses sacrifices an Egyptian, kills him and buries him in the sand. But God, God's justice comes through self-sacrifice. We also see that Moses' attempts to self-identify cannot sustain him. Through, through all of the relationships that are, through all the complexity of the relationships around him. Our attempts, your attempt, my attempt to self-identify can't sustain us. Like I just told you, my, you know, a very brief history of Brady. Why, why have all my attempts at identity come and gone and let me down? They can't sustain me. They can only sustain me for a minute, right? Why? Because life changes. Because desires change. Because other things, other people speak into us, don't they? We believe lies. We are spiritual beings who believe lies. We are, we are souls that are impacted and formed by circumstances and others. But we also know that Moses has faith. 
It doesn't say it here, but in Hebrews 11, it'll say, by faith, Moses went out to see his people. By faith, Moses connected himself to the miseries of his people. Wait a minute, Brady. Exodus 2 doesn't sound like a lot of faith. It's, it sounds like a lot of fear, a lot of doubt, a lot of running. Are you trying to tell me that a human being can have both fear and faith at the same time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Who can testify, right? How many of us every single day are wrestling between fear and faith? Fear and, uh, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Right? That's all of us. And that's Moses. And, and God, in church, that's why we gather. Right? Isn't that why we gather? To renew our faith? To let our faith start to conquer our fears? That's why we get here together and we hear the Word and we sing the Word and we read the Word and we speak the Word to one another. Lesson two. Our God is the God who remembers. Our God is the God who remembers. Did you know that our God is a God who makes promises? You see, in every other faith, in every other ancient faith especially, and, and even in every other faith, gods react. People do stuff, gods react to it. Our God doesn't just react. Our God makes promises before things happen. Do you see the difference? Our God makes promises before things happen. He is not just a reactionary God. In Genesis 3.15, God made humanity a promise that the offspring of the woman would destroy evil and sin and death. The offspring of the woman. I know Genesis 3.15 is a confusing verse. But what it's saying is God is making a promise to Eve in the garden that the offspring of the woman will crush the serpent and all he stands for, sin, evil, death. In Genesis 12, God made a promise to Abraham that the offspring of Abraham will be a blessing to the whole world. So when we get to Exodus 2, verse 2, which might just be a throwaway verse, it's not. Exodus 2, 2, the woman conceived and bore a son. Yes, yeah, so what? That's everything. <laughs> That's everything. That's God remembering His promises. She's a, verse 1, she's a Hebrew. She's a Levite. She's from Abraham, isn't she? She's a human being. <laughs> she's from Eve. She's from Eve. She's from Abraham. Oh, what is God doing? He's keeping his promise. That's what he's doing. 
And that's how, that's, that's how the chapter ends. Verse 24, God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. You see, God is a covenant God. Our God is a promise-making God, and he's not just a promise-making God. He's a promise-keeping God. You all have broken promises, haven't you? I have. I've broken promises. Your God has never, ever once broken a promise. Did you know that? And he never will. His track record is perfect. So in Exodus 2, 24 and 25, look at those verses again. These are the crucial verses. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant. Verse 25, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Why? Because he's a covenant God. Because he's a promise-making, promise-keeping God who hears, remembers, and he sees, and he knows. He hears us. God hears their groaning in their slavery. God, Christian, listen to me. God hears you today. Don't stop crying out to God. He hears you. God sees you, Christian. Psalm 94, isn't, isn't the God who formed the ear and formed the eye able to hear and see you? God hears us. He sees us. But he, he's not just up in heaven. Listen, if it was just those two, God hears and he sees, okay, that's nice. That's nice. But he remembers. Now listen, this is an important word. Because you hear that word and you might think, oh, God, God forgot about them. <laughs> like, oh, oops. Oh, yeah. You know, like when you leave a, um, a pot on the stove and it's boiling up and you forget and you walk away, right? And then the smoke alarm's going off and you can kind of hear, oh, I forgot. I forgot the cookies. That's not what's happening. The word remember, the Hebrew word zakar, is a covenant word that means that God acts upon his promises. He is faithful to move forward. Zakar means to move forward. God predicted this would happen back in Genesis 15. He literally said to Abraham, your descendants are going to go to a foreign land for 400 years, and then I'm going to hear them, and then I'm going to rescue them. This is not God, it's not God, you know, oops, I forgot about that. Oops, oh yeah, Brady, yeah, I kind of liked him. When he was the funny one in fifth grade, he was kind of, he was a good guy. And then he forgot about me. No, that's not what happens, is it? God is sovereign. God is in control. None of this is coincidence. None of this is luck. None of this is, oh, oh yay, good fortune. Not, not, it's, it's the providential working of God. 
Pharaoh is the right Pharaoh, Moses' mother, Moses' sister, the, the Pharaoh daughter. It didn't just happen to go that way, did it? God remembers. God knows. Verse 25, God knows. Some versions say God had concern for them or God acknowledged them. It literally just says, and God knew. God knew what? <laughs> God knew what? No, just God knows. Isn't that comforting? No, in, in Hebrew, the word know means it can be a very intimate word. God knows us. He understands us. I like to think that this is Moses' way of pointing us to Jesus. God knows us through Jesus Christ, doesn't he? God knows our slavery. God knows our suffering. He understands it. He doesn't just know it intellectually. He doesn't just know it. Uh, he doesn't just understand the dynamics of the socioeconomic dynamics of slavery. No, he knows he's experienced it. We have a God who has suffered and hurt and cried in Jesus Christ. That is our God. This fight is God's fight. This slavery is God's slavery. I, we're getting out of here. I know you. I love you. Let's go. I will fight for you. Look, maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, I don't think there is a God. There is no God. Okay. You can think that, but please understand what, what you're saying. If there is no God, there is no one that transcends us, who loves us, who is all-powerful, that hears our cries. We're left just crying to each other, blind leading blind. If there is no God, there is no one making everything right. There is no punishment for evil. There is no reward for good if there is no God. In fact, you're just going to live and die, and that's the end. If that's what you want, I guess that's your prerogative. But I would think that that would be a, a very depressing way to live. Have you cried out to God? But first, are you a slave? I don't need to cry out to God, Brady, because I'm not a slave. Okay. Or are you? Is it possible that you are enslaved to the self? Is that possible? Is it possible that you are enslaved to desires that even you don't want to do, but you still do them? Is it possible that you are enslaved to guilt and shame? Is it possible, like Moses, that even your attempts to do good fall miserably short? Is that possible? Is it possible that you're a slave to money, to greed, to lust, to power, to status, to control, to moralism, to self-righteousness, 
to religion. Is that possible? Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Romans 10 gives us these beautiful words. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When we cry out from our slavery like these Hebrews did, God hears. He always hears. When we cry out to God for salvation, God hears. He always, always hears. How does God remember? How does God act? How, how, how does God hear? Here's the best part of the story. God uses Moses, doesn't he? You, you might know that this is not the end of Moses in the book. <laughs> we got 40 more chapters of Moses, don't we? Clearly, if we were right in the story, all right, there goes Moses. I guess I'm done with that joker. He's a murderer now. His picture's in the post office in every city in Egypt. Left, he, he, he's hooking up with the Midianites. No, here's the best part. How is God remembering? How is God acting in chapter 2? He's acting through Moses and Moses' failures. Look, look, this isn't Moses' staff in the air, Red Sea splitting Moses. This is afraid, running away, hiding the body Moses. Right? That's who God's going to use. That's who God is using. Are you a Moses this morning? Are you, a, are you an Exodus 2 Moses? Not Exodus 14. Exodus 2. Are you an Exodus 2 Moses? You've blown it. You've messed it up. You've made mistakes. You're, you you got to run. You had a rough childhood. You had to float in a basket. Then you end up doing something really, really dumb, and you've been running and running and running. You've been running so long, you don't even know you're running anymore. It's just what you do. You just hide. You just hide yourself. You just hide. Uh, your, your spirituality is just limited to, like, routines and rituals. Or will you let God encounter you? That's going to be chapter 3. <laughs> I'm not going to jump into all that today. Come back for chapter 3. It's amazing. It's amazing. Look, Christians, we're not here to, get pa- to move past our past. We're not here to run away from our past. Moses is trying, but what we'll see next week is that God's still going to find him, isn't he? It's going to take 40 more years and it's going to be in the wilderness of Midian. It's going to be on a mountaintop, and suddenly God's going to show up. God doesn't let us run away. He doesn't want us to run away. He wants us to use, he wants to use our past failures. 
The very identities that Moses are slippery, they're like oil. Moses can't grab hold of them. God's going to use all that, not as his identity, but as his training. Do you see the difference? The, the situations in your life aren't your identity, they're your training. They're preparing you to live out God's true identity for you. God will use Egyptian Moses, won't he? God will use Hebrew Moses, won't he? God will use Midian shepherd Moses, won't he? He's going to use it all. Are you letting God use your past, even the failures and mistakes, even the things you wish weren't part of the story? Are you going to let God use those things to make you into all that He wants you to be for His kingdom? Or are you going to run? Lesson three, Christ is the way to know God and ourselves. Find Hebrews 11. Did you mark it? Hebrews 11. Some of you know this chapter is the famous faith chapter. Twenty-four, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. We want to know God, don't we? We want to know ourselves through knowing God. Jesus Christ is the one who allows us to know God and know ourselves. Jesus Christ is the greatest revelation of God. Moses, listen, Moses didn't know the historic Christ. You, you with me? We're not, I don't think that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Moses chose the reproaches of Christ Man, if we time traveled back and met Moses and said, hey, who's Jesus Christ? He'd be like, what? <laughs> I don't know what that is. He doesn't know Bethlehem. He doesn't know wise men and shepherds. He doesn't know all the miracles of Jesus. He doesn't know the cross. He doesn't know that stuff. But here's what he knows. He knows the reproach of Christ. He understands, and I'm not saying I even fully understand this verse, but I think what it means is Moses knew that God's Messiah, God's promised one, because he knew those promises that I showed you at the beginning of this sermon, remember? He knew God made a promise to humanity and to Abraham, <clears throat> and, got, and Moses knew that that Messiah had to go through suffering. That Messiah had to be reproached, shamed, dishonored 
in order to accomplish God's work. Moses embraced the reproach of Christ. Now listen to me. That's how we know God. That's, that's, that is our God. We have a God who is not afraid to be reproached for us, to be shamed for us, to be disgraced for us. This is the heart of God, that He not only hears us and sees us, and He not only moves, but He moves in a humble way. He moves in such a way that He enters into our own human shame and reproach. He became sin for us. He became the curse for us. Jesus in heaven heard our cries. God hears. Jesus hears. Jesus chose not to hold on to his status, just like Moses. Moses chose not to hold on to his status as an Egyptian prince, but he gave that up. He forsook the pleasures of sin. Jesus forsook the pleasures of sin for us. Jesus grew up and he went out to see the bondage of his people, his brothers. He is not ashamed to call us brothers, is he? He said, I want to be with you. I'm going to leave the palace and embrace the field. I'm going to leave the luxury and embrace the slavery. Jesus chose to share the suffering of his people. That is the heart of God. That is God's love for you. That is God's knowledge of you. That is God's remembrance of you. Even more so than Moses in Exodus is Jesus in his earthly ministry, life, death, resurrection, and indwelling in our own hearts. And that's how we know ourselves, through the shared reproach of Christ. What is my purpose? What is my identity? Who am I? What am I supposed to be? All those little stories I told you about my life, honestly, as I look back, they're all, they're all mostly just me wanting to make my way in the world and make myself fit in, right? I'll be funny so I fit in. I'll be good at sports so I can accomplish something or fit in. I'll be the best teacher here. And all the kids will write me nice notes and say, Mr. Walcott, you're the best. Why? did I do that? Because it's just selfish, right? It's just me being my own God. But what is my true identity? My true identity is the shared reproach of Christ. Listen, Jesus shares all that is His, doesn't He? The universe is ours. His robe and ring and fatted calf are ours. All of, the, all of His blessings, all of His position in heaven is ours to share. But listen, here on earth, we also share his reproach, his shame, his disgrace, his suffering, his sacrifice. Christian, do you see that? And so it begs the question, what, you know, Moses forsook the treasures of Egypt for the misery of his people. What is your treasure? What is your Egyptian treasure today? 
Your money? Your sexual expression? Your kids? Romance? Popularity? Success? That dream you're following? Follow your dreams. Never quit on your dreams. Or will Christ be your identity? Why should, why should Christ be my identity, Brady? Well, I'll, t- I'll, I'll tell you why. Because Christ alone can redeem all of the failures in all those other identities. <laughs> when all those other identities crash and let you down and point to, to how bad you are at life, Christ is standing there saying, okay, try me now. Try, how, how about unconditional love? How, how about grace? How, how about just grace? <laughs> how about new morning mercies? How about just faith? How about just loyalty and faithfulness no matter what? Before the, before the service, we, we, Mark and I usually pray together, and Mark prayed this prayer for me before the service. He said, he said, God, let Brady know that he is yours, that he is your child, even if he never preached this sermon, and even if it's a terrible sermon, something like that, even if, it, even if it's a bad sermon. I don't think he said terrible. He, he said it much nicer. I was like, I mean, literally like something washed over me. Christ. Look, why should Christ be your identity? Because it's security, it's hope, it's mission, it's purpose, it's justice. It's justice through sacrifice. I pray you'll choose Christ this morning. Listen, in Christ we are always heard. In Christ we are always seen. In Christ, we are always remembered, and in Christ, we are always, always known. Do you believe that? I pray you do. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our better Moses. You never messed up. You never hid the body in the sand. We look to you. And at the same time, Jesus, you are our God, our God from heaven, who hears us and sees us, remembers us, and knows us. Jesus, you came to earth. You, you joined your life to our human lives. You carried all the same burdens. You carried them perfectly, and yet you took the shame and disgrace and reproach of the cross. Thank you. Thank you. Father, this morning, I pray for the heart here that's broken, the heart here that's been crying out in slavery for what feels like 400 years. I pray that you would remind this morning that you are at work, you are sovereign, you are remembering
You are knowing. You are moving. It may not be the way we want, at the speed that we want, but God, you are going to take up our battle and fight for us. You already did on the cross, and you won. We pray that in the daily battles that are left, the ongoing day-by-day struggles and trials and temptations, that we would turn to you, remembering that we still have a little bit of by faith left in us, and that's all we need. By faith, by faith, by faith, may we grab hold of you even now as we look at communion together, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.